0: Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. My name is Brandon Amick. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Point. Uh, I do know most of you, know a good portion of you, but if you're new to LifePoint or maybe you just don't know me, I'd like to introduce myself uh, as one of the pastors here. I um, am privileged this morning to open the word with you uh, as we look at the beauty of enduring endurance in the witness of disciples. The beauty of endurance in the witness of disciples. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 10 this morning. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, or turn on your Bibles, however you you do that. Matthew chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 16 through 25. We're in a series right now looking at the Messiah's mission of making disciples, we've talked a lot about what a disciple is, what a disciple does, who they are, and we're going to continue to do that this morning as we look at a disciple is someone who endures. A disciple is someone who endures. So let's look together in Matthew chapter 10, beginning of verse 16. This is the word of the Lord. Behold, I am sending you out. As sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious of how you are to speak for what you are to say for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour for it is not you who speak but the spirit of your father speaking through you brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated for all or by all "...for my sake, for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee then to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master." It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. And if they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? This is the word of the Lord this morning. Might we be receptive to his working by his spirit? to bring about his work through his word upon our lives this morning. Again, as I said this morning, the message is entitled, The Beauty of Endurance in the Witness of Disciples. So here, in a, in a point, follower of Jesus, your endurance matters because your endurance is your witness. Your endurance matters because your endurance is your witness. And it can be beautiful at that. And that's what Jesus is drawing our attention to this morning. So if you're like me and you like to know where we're headed in things and kind of know the the destination so you can enjoy the journey a little bit, that's me, here's kind of where we're headed this morning. Here's the main point of the passage, uh, and the sermon is well out of that passage. Disciples are sent into hard places to endure hardship for the glory of Jesus' name. That disciples are sent into hard places to endure hardship for the glory of Jesus' name. It's going to be a light one this morning, right? Okay, it's going to be fun. So here's what Jesus is saying. A disciple is a follower that endures. We talked about what a disciple is. A disciple being a learner, a of Jesus, not someone whose just head is becoming filled with knowledge, but someone who is sharing in Jesus' life, by faith. They are learning to be like Jesus in their character. They're learning by Jesus' example and they're learning to live in the purpose of Jesus as well. They are accompanying Jesus in a deep communion and union with him by their faith as well. So a disciple is that, but it's a follower that then endures. Numerous times in the New Testament, Jesus prepares His followers for this reality. Endurance under resistance and affliction, then, is the call of every follower of Jesus. And so Jesus is worthy to be obeyed and followed to that end. And disciples actually abound in the shared joy of the glory of Jesus through their endurance that's probably not too difficult for us to imagine. Some of the closest relationships we undoubtedly have are those that we have walked through hard things with, right? And so if that is true, then how much more does the disciples share in the joy of the Savior in their endurance? Because they are sent to endure as Jesus endured. But before you think that is sourced in us, look again our our endurance will be sourced in Jesus as we'll see here momentarily but this passage or rather when endurance is present however in the life of a disciple it is truly magnificent we'll give some examples of that in church history here momentarily But to give a background of Matthew 10 here, what Matthew's doing, Jesus is giving some instructions to future disciples. The disciples currently under Jesus would not experience the things that Jesus is describing until after his death and resurrection. So Jesus is speaking of a soon-to-be contemporary situation, but he's also speaking to all future disciples of of the church history, of of Christendom, um, to come after of the realities of what life will look like following Jesus. He's looking to a time in the future and the long-term reactions to Christian mission. And mission being to make disciples of all nations. And so there are four descriptors here that Matthew gives of endurance, at least four that we see here. And I want to walk through those as we look at um, what it looks like to follow Jesus and endure hardship in hard places for the glory of Jesus. The first descriptor of endurance is found in verses 16 and 17. Endurance is something that involves preparation. It's not something we just stumble into. Endurance involves preparation. I found myself thinking more about training for endurance a lot of late. So I'll tell you a little bit of a self-deprecating story, because that's what us preachers do. Okay? So... I've been thinking a lot more about training of endurance of late. I'm just kind of an antsy person. You can ask the people that I live with, it drives them crazy about 10 o'clock on Saturday. I'm like, all right, I got to get out of here. Where can I go? What can we do? I just get antsy. So I've always sort of been an active person in that kind of thing. But I used to train for intensity now. But more and more, I'm, I'm seeing the value of, of training for endurance. Endurance. So that really came to bear at camp this year, youth camp. So, primarily one of my principal um, areas of leadership here at Life Points with student ministry. So, I, uh, I, I went to camp this summer. It was so great to be able to go there after not being able to go last year. Been going to summer camp for 15 years with students. I've loved it. God's radically done some really cool things. But here's one thing I've noticed the amount of pill bottles I bring with me to camp has increased over the years. Okay, so endurance is something that's valuable to me right now. But here's the thing about camp this year, though. Camp this year, as if it wasn't already enough of an endurance that you have to... I'm really selling this for you future adult leaders. I just realized, okay, it's great. But what I realized is this year, though, they added a 5K to it. Yes. So not only did I... Go to camp with these ten. But we had a six thirty in the morning. We had a five k on camp day two. Now, to some of you, a five k isn't a big deal. We know. We see you. We get your social media and your Strava posts. We get it. Okay. We see you. Okay. But and to some of my our students, it was a no big deal. They were making fun of me the whole time. All right. But here's the thing. I don't train to run. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the wicked man flees when no one's chasing him. It's biblical. Why do that to yourself? Okay, so I don't train to run. Two, camp itself has more than enough physical activity than you can imagine. But then third, I've never run a race in my life. I've never run any kind of 5K or anything. So, but I'm very competitive and stubborn. Okay, I do have that going for me. So, here's what I noticed. Off the start, I felt that competitive urge just kind of rise up in me, and the fast youths around me. I felt, oh, I, I can keep up with them. I've got a, I'm, I've got a long girth. I can open this up. I, I can kind of keep keep up for a while. Then we came to that first big hill. And it all went down downhill from then, okay? So my goals quickly transitioned then from trying to go the fastest to how do I just finish this well and not be embarrassed at the end of this, okay? And so I, say, I tell you that story to say, for one, I did finish. But I didn't finish running the rate at which I started, realizing that. But I think this is an illustration of what I've learned of life in so many ways. It's, and, and if you're like me, it's a lesson I have to continually learn over and, over and over and over and over and over and over again. That I've seen, even just in the time frame I've been able to live, I've seen enough people self-destruct, undermine their ministries, marriages fall apart, all ready to know this, that it is hard to finish well. It is hard to finish well. But Jesus says this, it's something we have to prepare for if we're going to finish well. Even train for, he says. So we want to not just run well, or we want to not just run hard for a season. We want to run well to the end. So Jesus says, how do you do that? Well, first of all, he gives us this kind of wake-up call. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, that sounds like a great scenario, Jesus. Thank you. This is what I signed up for, right? Wait, what? Sheep don't... That's not exa- They're not exactly even rivals here, right? They're not going to go toe-to-toe very well, right? Jesus says, this is what I'm sending you out into. So Jesus says, the disciple must be prepared... To suffer. Be prepared to suffer, he says. That disciples are sent out into the world as Jesus was, and they will face the same hostilities Jesus faced. However, this is key the disciples of Jesus are not so much subject to the circumstances they find themselves in as much as they are subject to the master that sends them into them. Get that, that's key. He says, I am sending you out. Not you will find yourself in the midst of wolves as sheep. No, I am the one who is sending you into this. So their master is the sender because he has a purpose for the sent to accomplish. He has a work that he is doing in them and through them. Yes, even sending them into this sort of circumstance. And what we have in the Scriptures is that a disciple must endure, but, a, but endurance is something that must be learned, it must be cultivated, and it must be prepared for. It is not something we stumble into. It is not something that naturally comes about. It is not rooted in our own self-effort, We will see that. You had nothing to contribute to your salvation at the beginning and you will have nothing that you could possibly contribute to take your salvation away from yourself. Yet, your endurance must be cultivated, learned, and prepared for. Countless scriptures tell us. this. Hebrews 10.36 is one of those. The book of James displays this for us. Jesus doesn't just tell us you've got to prepare, he tells us how to prepare. So we've gone from sheep to wolves and now we're going to look at serpents and doves. So we've got the whole zoo here. I don't, Jesus is just using all kind of animal imagery. And what is Jesus teaching us? He teaches us three ways to prepare. Be wise, be innocent, and be aware be wise be innocent and be aware okay maybe your translation says to be as shrewd as a serpent Jesus is saying to be wise here to seek wisdom there are entire sections of the bible dedicated to wisdom wisdom literature I'm going to give you my best attempt at defining wisdom. It's a, it's, it's a fixture, particularly when students get into 11th and 12th grade years. We want to talk about what it looks like to live wisely in the world. That's what the book of Proverbs is full of, right? Here's my best attempt at describing to you what wisdom is. Wisdom moves the knowledge of God into the lived reality of everyday life. Wisdom is the moving of the knowledge of God into the realities of everyday life. It's the art of living well through careful dependency upon the Lord. And so we live well when we take care to walk in wisdom. But there's also an element of healthy self-suspicion that happens that we have to have here of our own hearts. Because if you're like me, I'm just dumb a lot of times. and I, I know the right things to do, but I don't live in the, those realities out in the lived realities of my life oftentimes. And so I have to know myself, know my heart, and have this healthy self-suspicion of my heart to walk wisely. To know that it's not just enough to know the right things, but to bring the lived reality of that into my life. So Jesus says, be wise. If you're going to run with endurance, be wise. Second, he says, be innocent. Pursue innocence. So this, be innocent like a dove, he says. This speaks to our integrity and the tendency that we often have to excuse areas of our life that don't maybe match up or are contrary to the pursuits of our life. So we'll look at Hebrews chapter 12 here in just a minute that speaks to this, but... To endure, you've got to get rid of the things that sabotage you from enduring. The weights you carry on you that are going to keep you from running well. Cast those things off. They need not always, if they're sinful, you have to, of course, you get rid of those. But there are some things that aren't in and of themselves sinful, but they will sabotage our life misplaced priorities, habits we're giving room for, perhaps. We know our contrary and remaining seeds of rebellion in our hearts. This also speaks to caution against being belligerent in the face of opposition or persecution. Innocent as doves. What is he saying? Does that look like just like complete passivity, just let somebody run over you? Jesus says, no, no. But he says, we need also not be caustic or inconsiderate but demonstrate what purity of motive looks like to a lost world. We need not be caustic or inconsiderate, but demonstrate what purity of motive looks like to a lost world. Be innocent. And then lastly, be aware. He says, pay attention. I forget to pay attention sometimes. I do. Miss what's right in front of you. Jesus is basically saying this. Don't be naive. Don't be naive. Yeah, we can be naive. Jesus is basically telling them, uh, there, there's, this is a generic reference to being mindful of other people. So here's what Jesus is saying. It's presumptuous to always assume ill intent of people, but it's also very foolish to assume people always have good intent as well. So just be aware. Be wise, be innocent, be aware. So Jesus tells us how to prepare. Paul the Apostle encapsulates this again for us in Romans chapter 16, verse 19, when he says, For your obedience is known to all, so I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Notice wisdom is the search for good here, the giving ourselves to good here. So in response to these things we must ask this question, are we really preparing to endure? Are we training for endurance? Are we preparing ourselves to run well and to endure? And how are we doing this in living wisely, being innocent of evil and walking with an awareness? That's the first descriptor here of of endurance, is we have to prepare. The second is that endurance is a testimony of light in dark places. Persecution, which comes for the name of Christ, has as its goal with our sovereign Lord the witness of Christ among, look at what he says, The glory of of Christ among kings, governments, and those who do not know the name of Christ. So just as we said, you are not subject to the circumstances you find yourself, as much as you find yourself subject to the sender of the one sending you into those circumstances. Look at this. This is awesome. The very thing set up to resist Christ furthers the spread of His glory among those who don't know Him. The things that are set up in opposition to the gospel wind up serving the advancement of the gospel. That's glorious. And we see it time and time and time again in church history. I've been particularly encouraged by a biographical kind of sketch of a a man who embodies this reality well, I think. His name was Charles Simeon. He... He was a contemporary, you might recognize some of these names, he was a contemporary of John Newton, think Amazing Grace, uh, William Wilberforce, and William Cowper. Uh, He began serving as vicar or pastor of Trinity Church in Cambridge in November of 1782, and he wound up serving that church for 54 years. That's a feat in and of itself, But especially when you realize what his first 12 years was like. His first 12 years there were full of incredible misunderstanding and opposition. You see, Cambridge University was a university town that was greatly resistant to biblical preaching and evangelicalism as a movement during those days, So often, he was the object of open insults from both students as well as cold contempt from his colleagues. Just to name a few of these things he endured, his sermons were regularly interrupted by opposers who would mock him. Thank you for not doing that, at least yet. Okay? You're still paying attention. I love that. All right. Once a group of undergraduate students gathered outside his church to assault him physically after he preached his message. Can you imagine? He struggled through a debilitating sickness from the age of 47 to 60. God miraculously removed that. He was unable to speak at times. Many times his sermons would just kind of drop off into a whisper. Great fatigue and weakness plagued him during those seasons, but God miraculously again removed it at age 60, and he served the remainder of his ministry there. He was celibate his entire life and knew what it was like to feel so alone that in his biography it's recorded that he was surprised one day when a colleague ventured to walk across campus with him for 15 minutes because nobody would ever venture to do that. And at one point, at the height of, his oppos- of this opposition, the congregants opposed him so much, they locked their pews. We'll talk about what that means here in a minute. They locked their pews and stayed away from the services, the worship gathering, and forced him to preach to a room of people standing only in the aisles. And so, see, in those days, the pews of the church had personal assignments to the parishioners and they would have locking doors on each end, which the parishioners would have uh, access to. Sounds like a great idea, right? Yeah, I know, me too. But basically, they locked these doors so no one else could occupy the pews and then they stayed home. And when people began to attend more frequently... He, out of his own resources, Simeon set up seats in the corners and in any space he could find. Those same parishioners snuck in and they took all of the chairs and threw them out into the lawn. For 12 years he tried to visit some of these parishioners and they wouldn't even come to the door, we're told. But eventually he earns the favor of the church and the university in his endurance And he serves as the dean three times and once serves as the vice provost for Cambridge. And in his 54 years at Trinity, he became a powerful force of the gospel at work in the Anglican Church. He became so influential over students for preparing for ministry that they began to send pastors into these congregations and then also, he eventually became a trusted advisor of the East India Trading Company where he was the one who recommended all of the chaplains that were sent out. And in those days, it was, that was the way you served as a missionary to the East. And so his ministry was one of powerful global impact that came in the middle of a place of great resistance. Great resistance. And on record... uh, On April 1831, five years before his death, he was asked how he outlasted such great persecution and prejudice against him, and he answered this way, We must not mind a little suffering for Christ's sake. When I'm getting through a hedge, if my head and my shoulders are safely through, I can bear the pricking on my legs." Let us rejoice in the remembrance that our holy head, being Christ, has surmounted all his suffering and triumphed over death. And let us follow him patiently, for we shall soon be partakers of his victory. Endurance is beautiful. So Jesus tells us, not only the purpose of, our, of persecution and opposition, it's a witness to the name of Christ. But then he reassures us of how that will come about. The Spirit of your Father will speak through you. So not only is God orchestrating and using the very places of resistance for the gospel, but he's using them for opportunity to speak the name of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, through willing vessels in those very places of resistance. And so in Jesus, he's giving us this theology of suffering and difficulty. That in the very places where we find ourselves encountering the most friction, perhaps, the most resistance to the gospel, may very well work to advance the gospel as long as we are willing vessels of the Spirit of God at work in us. Notice this in practice in verse 23. Jesus says this, the the opportunity for the gospel going from town to town is actually encouraged by the persecution. The word persecution there means to pursue, to chase out. And so he says actually that persecution will drive the gospel from town to town to town. So the chasing pursuit of opposition then actually move the gospel from place to place. So listen to how Revelation 14 says this. Here is the call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Friends, if we are disciples of Jesus, we are called to endure in our faith. But endurance is... Again, not sourced in ourselves. And that's our third descriptor of endurance. Endurance lessens anxiety as it's fixed on the sovereign faithfulness of another. Endurance is not fixed in us. It lessens anxiety even as it is fixed in sovereign faithfulness. So Jesus says, don't be deceived. Don't think that your your endurance is something that is strictly coming from yourself But it's coming from from me. Jesus says, don't be anxious about what you're to say or to speak. It will be given to you in that hour. It is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So Jesus confronts this idea that maybe our preparation is centered on our own strength instead of the power of the Spirit. Jesus says, no. No. Prepare yourselves for the realities of persecution. But more than that, be ready and expectant for the Holy Spirit to work in you through them. Prepare for the realities of opposition. But more than that, prepare by being ready and expectant for the Holy Spirit to work in and through you. And then he says even familial resistances will Will come about that there will be betrayal that comes to the disciple even from within his own family, but look here, the gospel he says, shows, he shows us here means even more than family, because it's bound up in the fidelity of a good God who calls us into his household. Notice the goodness of the gospel here it's even willing it's even more valuable than family. So displayed in the Bible. The righteous wait on God by looking to Him and relying on Him in distress and opposition. And this waiting endurance has as its focus not human strength, not our strength, but the faithfulness of God. And in the New Testament, it is a characteristic of true believers centered on the expectation of Christ's coming. This is something that's a unique Christian attitude, actually. It doesn't just come from bravery or insensitivity, but it comes from faith and hope. And so look at how this expresses itself in our attitude. This attitude displays endurance both actively and passively. Actively it produces good works, while passively suffers under persecution. The pious waiting for Jesus is the heartbeat of the Christian community. So, let me ask this question in response. This is what it asks of us, friends. Are you seeing your own endurance of hardship? Are you seeing your own endurance of a particular persecution even as the means of witness where you are? The means of witness where you are. The fourth... The descriptor of endurance we have is found in verses 22 and then verses 24 through 25. Jesus says this, all of this opposition is due to one thing, and that is my name. It's my name. So again, you don't have to be caustic. You don't have to you know, be belligerent in this because you've got enough conflict <laughs> as is, bound up in Jesus. That's the source of the opposition. And he says, it's because of my name. So what's in a name? What's in a name? Some sort of a nerd of names at times. My southern heritage might kind of play into this as well. We we sought to intentionally name our daughters after people in our family line. It's kind of a tradition as well. So you got to name your kid after your great-great-grandmother and, you know, all of those kind of things. So you try to retain that and carry that heritage into that. And so both both of my girls carry the legacy of names tied to our family and to our faith. But my name almost seems providential in and of itself. So again, self-deprecation a little here, okay? But it's hilarious. Providence sometimes is. Because I think it just shows God's sense of humor maybe in this as well. So when you look at my name, my name... The best I could, I could muster, my first name, it has, no, it has no ties to our family history. Okay, I'll get that out of the way. My name, Brandon, I have been told means this. You ready? It's, it's, it's beautiful, right? It means Hill of Broomstraw. Okay? Hill of Broomstraw. That's the best I can find on it. Hill of Broomstraw. Who thought to name someone after a Hill of Broomstraw? I don't know. I don't know where this comes from okay but i guess you need broom straw to make brooms who knows i don't i don't know so you've got hill of broom straw but then joseph being my middle name is a hebrew name which i know what it means it means added to and then my family and i've also found this to be true in some of the like ancestry.com stuff Okay, but you still have to kind of take this with a grain of salt because you hear it from your family. I've told my last name, Amick, is has German origins, which means house of strength. So if I take and I'm confirmed at least in third, a third of this that I know is true. But my name, my full name means a hill of broomstraw added to the house of strength. And if that's not providential, I don't know what is. Because, truly, if I can do anything to add to God's house, it would be my joy. But it's also a sign of my humility. It's like, hey, you're just a hill of broomstraw. But if the Spirit works through you, you can do much. But names had meaning. I don't know if mine has meaning. I don't know. I think it's funny. But A name is inseparable with a person. It was inseparable. Inseparable with their person, their memory, their essence. To bear the name of Jesus then was to have relationship with Him and allegiance to Him. The fullness of His being and work is seen in His name. It expresses his humanity, his divinity, and his mission to save people from their sins. Matthew's actually already told this in the first chapter of his, his account. Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 to 23 says this, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had promised by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's Matthew 1 21 to 23. So believers in the name of Jesus can act upon the commissioning of the commission, on its commission and its power, as it stands for Jesus' presence and his authority. So, the name of Jesus is the basis of the theme of the proclamation of the mission of God. Because in the name of Jesus, the mission of God is bound up. God saves by Jesus. God is redeeming the world from brokenness and sin through Jesus. And so, this is the name which marks all disciples. The name of Jesus. So disciples endure because Jesus is enough. He says this, it is enough that a disciple be like his teacher, right? He says this. And so this is basically what this means. That as Jesus source, as Jesus is the source of their life and their joy, he also sources their endurance. Jesus is enough, friends. Wherever you might find yourself wearied, ready to give up, Jesus is enough. He's enough in that area that you want to quit. Jesus is enough in a marriage that's hard right now. Jesus is enough for you to continue to be faithful and believe that in your life right now, wherever it may need to be heard. He's enough. Because Jesus not only sources our life and our joy, he sources our endurance. Look at how the author of Hebrews anchors the disciples' endurance in Jesus is enough. I told you we'd come back here. Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider then him, you, disciple, consider him, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted." It is enough for disciples to be like their teacher. Because after all, a disciple is a learner-accompanier. And a learner is not someone who just knows abstractions about Jesus. It is someone who is sharing in the life of Jesus, growing in the knowledge of Jesus, and being conformed into the image of Jesus. Out of being in communion with Jesus. Jesus. Because that's their purpose, after all, to learn and to become like Jesus and to share in his salvation and his fate, which, friends, is glory. It is glory. You get to share in glory. A disciple is a follower that endures, and they endure because Jesus is enough. Is he enough for you this morning? He's enough as the source of our endurance. He's he's enough as the example of endurance. And get this, don't miss this, whatever you hear from me, that sticks, let this stick. He is the goal of our endurance. And so I must ask in response as we conclude, we endure because Jesus is enough. So friends, where are you on the verge of giving up? Where are you on the verge of quitting, stopping, in your exhaustion? Where are those areas? And will you look to Jesus as enough in those moments? He is enough to source your endurance. He is enough to be an example for endurance. And He is enough as the goal of your endurance. Will you look to Jesus this morning? He alone is sufficient and worthy for our whole lives and our endurance. Disciples are sent into hard places to endure hardship for the glory of Jesus' name.